Good morning. Everybody doing okay? You guys good? All right. Thank you. Thanks. Hey, good to see you guys this morning. Um, we are back in the Gospel of John. We took a break uh, last week. I know all of you know that because all of you were here last week for the baptism services. All of you were here uh, for that. And um, that was passive aggressiveness. So... Um, Last week, on the weekend, your notes say we baptized 121. That's how many we baptized on the weekend. Yeah, that's good. And then uh, we baptized 15 more on Wednesday at our student ministry. So 136 people last week. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) And uh, I think if you include all of our other baptisms, because we do them um, almost every weekend uh, at one of our services, but probably touching about 190, something like that, so far this year, which is, is really, really good. So... Um, All right, so we're back in the Gospel of John. We finished up chapter eight uh, a couple of weeks ago, and if you haven't been here for the Gospel of John, there's kind of a recurring thing that happens, especially as you get a little bit closer towards the end of of the Gospels, the four Gospels, is there's a lot of conversations, one could say arguments, between Jesus and the religious leaders, the Pharisees. We saw one of these in chapter eight, and it kind of reached, at this point in, in the Gospel of John, um, kind of a climax, a, a fervor of, of how much hatred and antagonism the religious leaders have towards Jesus. And the reason why that happened is they were in this, this conversation, argument, and they asked him several times, who are you, who are you, who are you? And he started talking about Abraham, and he said, before Abraham was, I am. And what that means, if you've never heard that before, what he was essentially saying, Jesus was saying, I'm, I'm God. You are looking at God in the flesh. And this caused the religious leaders to pick up stones. They wanted to kill him right there on the spot. And it says, it says that Jesus kind of slipped out of the temple and, he is, and, and his disciples continued to travel, walk around and teach the gospel. Okay, and that's where we pick up on chapter nine. Here's what we're gonna talk about today. Um, And we're going to talk about some interesting stuff. Chapter 9 has a very, very famous story in it, um, and it has a very, very very famous one-liner in it from a man who was formerly blind, and Jesus spits on the ground, makes some mud, smears it on his face, and this man can see again. Very, very famous story. And there are some really huge theological points that come up in chapter 9. And oddly enough, the biggest theological points are from this man who was formerly blind. And he says some things that are very, very profound. What we're going to talk about today is this, though, that we as Christians, if you're a Christian in here, and if you're not, hopefully something we talk about today will, will spark an interest in you to, to take that step. We as Christians have to live in, in constant dependency on Jesus, not just when times are tough, not just when you know we're in a pinch, not just when it's convenient for us. Uh, we need to live in, in utter dependence on Jesus especially as the world continues to spiral into to absolute chaos. We need to make sure that we are grounded and that we are dependent on him, okay? That's what we're gonna talk about today. So I got this really convicting eye staring at you for a minute. Uh, you should have received a notes handout when you walked in. This was completely intentional. I hope that makes you very uncomfortable. You're just unsettled in your seat right now. You should have received a notes handout when you walked in through the doors. Um, if you have a Bible or in the fourth book of the New Testament, Uh, written by John in the first century. We're in chapter nine today. We'll do all of it. If you have a smartphone, the Experience Community app, if you just click on that, everything is right there. And then, of course, everything will be uh, on the big screen behind me. Okay, so let me pray, 
Let's jump into this very, very, very interesting chapter with some really, really good points that are brought up in it. So we'll go over it all today and you guys can uh, leave. And I looked in, it's supposed to be 85 degrees today. Is that what it's supposed to be? Isn't that crazy? It's awesome. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, all right. So let me pray and uh, we'll get through this and see what the Lord says to us, all right? Father God, we love you. Lord, thank you for everyone in this room. God, I, I genuinely appreciate, and I know you do too, Lord, that, that people would come out and make time to worship and to hear the word, God, and, and to discuss it. Lord, I just pray that you, you bless this church. Keep your hand on this church, God. And we not only pray for this church, we pray for every single church in Murfreesboro. We pray for our other campuses and all the different churches in those cities, Lord. We pray for the, the very, very important nonprofits that we're partnering with this month, God, they're working with addiction and recovery. It's a big deal. And Father, we just pray that everything we do this morning, Lord, that it honors you, that it brings us closer to you, and, and Lord, that you receive all the glory and attention for it. God, we love you, we thank you, we praise you. Pray all these things in your son's name, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Good stuff. Let's read this and let's go back and let's break it down, okay? Chapter nine. As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man? or his parents that he was born blind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it's still day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud from the saliva, and spread the mud on the blind man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he left, washed, and came back seen. His neighbors and those who had seen him as a beggar said, isn't this the one who used to sit begging? Some said, he's the one. Others were saying, no, but he looks like him. And he kept saying, I'm the one. So they asked him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and told me to go to Siloam and wash. So when I went and I washed, I received my sight. Well, where is he, they asked. I don't know, he said. So this is very, very interesting. So Jesus, after this situation that happened in the temple where, where you know, the Pharisees were about to kill him, they leave they're, they're still walking around, they're talking to people, they're just kind of checking stuff out, and they see a man who is blind from birth. And the disciples look over at Jesus and they say, hey Jesus, is this guy blind because of something he did or because of something that his parents did? Now this question came from a place of legalism. Now some of you are very familiar with legalism, maybe you went to a legalistic church, escaped out of that, free of that, thank God. Some of us came from very legalistic backgrounds. Some of us may have never heard that word before. What legalism essentially means is that, it, that, that we can basically earn our salvation, that what we do, right, it's more about the rules, if you will, than it is about grace and love and the power of God. So the disciples were wrapped up in this legalism, and they said, well, this man is blind, so someone had to do something wrong, either him or his parents. So in that legalism, the disciples showed no compassion. They didn't see the man as a human, they saw the man as a theological argument, a theological discussion. Now, just to be clear, sin can lead us to sickness in some cases. 
There are some times when there are things that we do that will lead us to physical sickness or can even lead us to mental illness and sickness. But we need to be careful not to always make that assumption, right? If someone's going through something, we're like, man, they must have been bad. Assumptions like that will lead us down a bad path. So will legalism. Legalism and assuming the worst out of people all the time means that we are lacking love. We are lacking grace. Now again, we'll say this several times throughout this lesson. We cannot compromise what is right and wrong. We cannot compromise that. But Christians are told and commanded to be empathetic. We are, we are called to, even though we don't agree with what everyone does, we should get to know people and care about them enough to hear their story and help kind of understand why they made the decisions that they did. Let me give you an example. So, of course, we don't believe in promis you know, promiscuous sex. We don't, we don't believe in just casual promiscuity. We shouldn't do that. That's wrong. But even if someone is doing that, and then we find out that maybe that individual was raped and molested multiple times when they were a child. Now, that doesn't excuse what they're doing, but we as humans start to understand, Christian humans start to have a little bit more love and compassion and empathy when we know a little bit more about their story, right? And we can help them possibly in those situations. So Jesus said, this man isn't blind because he did anything or because his parents did anything. He essentially said, he's blind because I wanted him to be blind. And so this came about, Jesus said, because God's work is going to be displayed in this man. The man's physical blindness in the story we're gonna read about today is going to play a part in teaching a lesson to thousands of years of people about spiritual blindness. This man's physical ailment was going to teach us something about the ailment of our soul. So here's the thing. Though it can be confusing, we will get into confusing circumstances. We will be in times that are tough, that are sometimes hard to navigate. And those situations can result from a couple of different things. Sometimes, guys, it is just science. And as a Christian, you don't need to be afraid of science because God made that too. You don't have to be afraid of that. Sometimes people go through certain ailments, whether that be physically, mentally, emotionally, because there is something genetically up, right? There is a biological or chemistry thing that is going on, and that's okay. Sometimes we are in certain situations because we have done something wrong because we have sinned, because we have done something, it has put us in a physical, mental, emotional place where God doesn't want us to be. And sometimes, quite frankly, God puts us there, or he allows things to happen to us. So regardless of the source of the tough situation, regardless of how we ended up in this situation, the answer to those situations is all the same. We must trust in Christ. If we put our trust in Christ, if we lean on him, if we follow him, if we do what the word of God tells us to do, the Bible says he works out all things, all things for the good of those that love him according to his purposes. So whether it was your fault, whether it was just biology or chemistry, or whether God puts you in a situation, the point is to trust him. And the only way to learn to trust him is we must communicate with him. It means pray novel idea for Christians, but we should talk to God more. And when we talk to God more, we learn how to navigate difficult situations. We learn how to, to, to find clarity in times of confusion. So verse four and five can be a little confusing. Jesus basically says, he goes, hey, 
the night is coming when we're not gonna be able to work, so we have things that we have to do during the day, while it's day. More than likely, what, what Jesus was referring to was the week when he was going to be arrested and crucified. And he's basically saying, when that time comes, we're not gonna be able to do what we're supposed to do. So we have to, we have to be efficient with our time right now because we're not gonna have this luxury in the future. And what we can learn from that as Christians, you and I as disciples of Jesus, hopefully we're disciples of Jesus, what we can learn from that is we too must be efficient with our time. What that means is this, just because we're followers of Jesus, that is not an excuse for us to be lackadaisical or lazy. All right, thank you, I got one over there, awesome. That's what I'm gonna start doing now, I'm just gonna point to a section and someone stand up and affirm that I didn't say something stupid and we'll keep on, we'll keep on trucking, right? We'll keep on moving. Let me give you an example of this, and I'm not trying to be mean in here today. I, I, I promise you I'm not. But sometimes we use our faith as, a, as an excuse to be lazy. We'll say things, or people will come up and, and ask for prayer, or they'll contact the, the church or something. I'll say, hey, I've been praying about my finances. Can you guys help me pray for my finances? And then we'll ask a, a really crazy question. We'll go, well, where are you working? Well, I'm not working. I'm just waiting for God to open a door. Well, man, there's doors at Target down the street, and they say now hiring. There's doors at a lot of fast food chains here in town, now hiring. Basically, every business is hiring right now. And so there's a lot of people who say, well, man, I'm just, I'm just praying about it. We can pray about it all day long, but sometimes we just need to get up and do something. You don't need to, listen, if the Bible tells you to do something, like I'm just quoting the Bible to you right now. If a man doesn't wanna work, he shouldn't be allowed to eat, the Bible says. So if the Bible just says that, you don't have to pray about it. You just have to obey it and go do it. And so, so many times we use our faith as an excuse to just kind of sit around, I'm just waiting on God, just waiting on God. Well, God's just kind of waiting on you sometimes. Like, like you need to get up and go do something. And so, as we continue to read, if you were to stop at verse five, it looks pretty bleak. Jesus says, I am the, uh, uh, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Well, that's problematic if we know that he's not about to be in the world here pretty soon by the end of the Gospel of John. But the Bible is what's called a progressive revelation. Progressive revelation. Sounds fancy, it's not. What that means is, if you start at the beginning of this book, you only know a little bit about God. In fact, in Genesis one and two, you know very, very little about God. All you really know about God is he is the creator of the heavens and the earth. That's all we really know. But as we continue to read more throughout the word of God, there is a progressive revelation. We learn more and more about God as we work through the word of God. Not only about God, we learn more about ourselves, we learn more about his plan. And so this is why reading the whole word of God and reading it in context is so important. Because you can take scripture like that and be like, oh man, Jesus was crucified and he ascended into heaven. I guess we are in utter darkness. No, 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 no. If you continue to read into the book of Acts, the, the people of God are given the spirit of God and now we are the light of the world. Now I know it's God in us, but this is why Jesus said in Matthew, don't, let, don't cover up your light, let it shine for the whole city to see because we were to become the catalyst for God to work in the world. And now, I don't know if you guys have ever thought this, if you've read this story before. Why in the heck did Jesus <laughs> spit in the dirt and then smear this mud on this guy's eye? I'm sure the guy was very appreciative for his sight. And then also probably like, I mean, there's probably water you could have used somewhere else or is there any other way we could have done this? 
Now, here's the thing. Jesus did not need a physical substance to heal the man. <laughs> Sometimes when you're researching the Bible, you can come across some, some, we'll put theologians in air quotes. You can find some people that come up with some really ridiculous observations. There are some theologians who believe that Jesus knew there were medicinal properties in that soil. And I'm like, come on. If there were medicinal properties in the soil in Jerusalem that instantly healed the blind, we, we would have already dug up that entire area and wiped spitty mud on, on every blind people's eyes in the world. That's absurd. Jesus didn't need the dirt. He didn't need, even need his own saliva. But I believe Jesus understood that this blind man needed some help with his faith. He was blind. Maybe he needed something tactile. He needed something to feel in order to encourage him to listen to Jesus. There's a lot of cases of, of similar things in the Bible. One of the most interesting ones is Gideon with his fleece in Judges chapter six. And you can go back and read that. It's a pretty bizarre chapter, by the way, of the Bible. So here's the thing. It is not wrong to have physical reminders of God's provision. If you ever were to walk into my house, don't just do that sporadically, um, but if, 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 if I were to invite you into my home and you were to walk into my home, right when you walk on into my home on my left, we have a very, very old, it's probably 60, 70 year old crucifixion with Jesus, you know, the crucified Christ on the cross and it's right there on our wall. And it's just a beautiful piece of art and when I walk by it, it just, it makes me think of Jesus because, you know, Jesus on the cross and, and that's great. I think it's wonderful. It kind of sparks, you know, faith in me a little bit when I walk by it. Now, there's nothing magical about it. If we were to throw it away, I wouldn't do that, but, but, but God would still touch my heart and all that stuff. It's okay to have things, tangible, physical things, to remind us of God and his provision. But whenever we start thinking those tangible things hold some kind of mystical power, we have crossed a line that the Bible doesn't condone into superstition and idolatry. Okay, so we need to be very, very cautious with that. And so the blind man's neighbors were amazed at what happened. I mean, wouldn't you be, right, if your blind neighbor could now see? And though the blind man could not explain it all, he knew this. Look how simple this is. He couldn't explain everything, but he understood that because he obeyed Jesus's word, God touched his life. It's pretty simple, man. He obeyed Jesus and he was touched by God. So we have to understand, even if we don't understand everything, if we will put our faith and trust in Jesus, God will touch our lives. God will do things in our lives, okay? Let's go to the next part. So they brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. The day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. Then the Pharisees asked him again how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, he told them. I washed and I can see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a sinful man perform these signs? And look at this, there was a division among them, among the Pharisees. Again, they asked the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He's a prophet, he said. The Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received sight, until they summoned the parents of the one who had received his sight. They asked the parents, is this your son, the one who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? We know this is our son and that he was born blind, the parents answered, but we don't know how he now sees and we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him. 
He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews. Those are their religious leaders. Since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed Jesus as the Messiah, they would be banned from the synagogue. This is why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. Okay, if you have not been here, not only does Jesus ruffle the feathers of the religious people because he does miracles that only God can do, Jesus also, and I'm sure very much on purpose, chooses to do these things on the Sabbath day, the one day when you're not allowed to do anything. You're not allowed to work in any way. The only one who could, who could break the law of God or let's say alter the law of God would be the creator of the law, God. And that's how Jesus is able to heal people and work on the Sabbath. So, God was starting to work on the heart of this formerly blind man. Notice the first time they asked who Jesus was or who did this, he said, the man. Now this time he says, he's a prophet. Now that's a big change. And that would have been a very controversial thing to say. The Jewish people hadn't had a prophet, a man sent by God to, to basically speak the things of God, kind of speak on behalf of God. They hadn't had a prophet in 400 years. The first prophet they had in 400 years was John the Baptist. And many of the religious leaders didn't see John the Baptist as a prophet, but he was. He's technically kind of the last Old Testament prophet. And so to say that Jesus was a prophet, even though he's much more than a prophet, we know that. To say that he was a prophet, though, was saying God is using this person. God is doing something through Jesus. And so the religious people instantly claim that no one can break the Old Testament law and be of God. The only one who can is the one who is the law, and that is God. And this is why Jesus was able to do that. And then this brings up an interesting point, one that we're gonna, we're gonna hang out on for a second. That Jesus bring division. He brought division. Jesus' words and his actions forced people to choose. Even the religious people said that there was now a division among them. There was now a disagreement about who Jesus is. It, it made a dividing line. And the reason why it made a dividing line is what Jesus said and what he did didn't fit the expectations of some people. And they rejected him for it. Now listen, this is where it becomes important and, and it's something that, that, that we should talk about in this room. You will hear a great lie, and it's a, a great theological misconception. A lot of churches, a lot of I'm gonna throw pastors in air quotes, a lot of I'll throw Christians in air quotes as well, will say very, very incorrect statements like, Jesus came to unify everybody. You guys ever heard that? You will hear, I heard a pastor say it the other day from the Northwest, and he's absolutely incorrect. He says, Jesus came to unify. That's why we accept absolutely everything and, and we, we, you know, there is nothing wrong anymore because Jesus came to unify. That is directly opposite of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus said, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, don't be confused. I came to bring a sword. I came to be the dividing line between what is right and what, what is wrong. And so the reason why so many people push away from the word of God, from Jesus Christ and from Christianity is because in Christianity, because of the word of God, we have absolutes. These things are absolutely right. These things are absolutely wrong. And we don't like that. 
We don't like to be told what to do, but Jesus is a dividing line. And so the Pharisees didn't believe that the man was, was blind once upon a time. So they went and got his parents and they said, hey, is this your son? They're like, yep, that's our son. Was he blind? Yep, he was blind. Well, how does he see now? And if you notice in this, they kind of, they, they don't want any part of this conversation. They say, hey, look, he's of age. He's a, he's a grown man. He can answer for himself. We don't, we don't wanna get into this is what they say. And the reason why is anyone who sided with Jesus would be excommunicated from the, the, the religious community, the synagogue. Now, nowadays, we don't care about that, right? A, churches don't have church discipline anymore. And then B, if, if for some reason I say something that makes you mad or if you're living in such a way and we're like, hey, you know, like you, you gotta repent or, or you can't be around here or whatever, we'll just hop around to 45 other churches that are within a mile of this church. And that's what we'll do until we find someone that says exactly what we already think. That's what we do in the United States. So these people, though, were afraid because if they got kicked out of the religious community, that was the entire community. They wouldn't ever go to anyone else's house again. They wouldn't be able to be, uh, they wouldn't talk to anyone in the marketplace anymore. It would completely make them ostracized and set apart and it would ruin their lives. So if we have a little bit of compassion and grace, these, these parents, they didn't know Jesus yet. They just knew that if they sided with him, that their lives, social lives, would essentially be over, right? And so we have to have a little bit of compassion and grace for them because they didn't know any better at this point. The other thing this brings up is something, again, that you and I need to talk about. And this is a huge problem facing the church in the United States right now. There are a lot of people, professing Christians, who are evading their biblical responsibility because in the last decade or so, it has actually started to cost us something to follow Jesus. You guys with me this morning? Okay, those of you who are old enough to, to, to remember, you remember in the 80s, in the 90s, well, basically any time before like mid-2000s, it was totally cool to be a Christian, right? Politicians were Christians, Christians. Politicians were Christians. Actors were Christians. There were Christian uh, theme parks. They were all over television. Like it was still this, this very kind of very overt Christian nation. And it didn't cost anything to be a Christian. It was easy because it was socially acceptable to be one. So Christianity, we'll say flourished, even though we had a lot of people going to churches, but we weren't really making disciples. And that, that didn't work out too well for us in the United States. So what ended up happening was, is when people started to realize that the tide was turning in society and now it was going to cost us something to be a Christian, now we see Christianity declining at the fastest rate that it ever has in the United States. Ever has, ever has in the Western world is declining at such a rapid rate because now it costs us something. Now it's not a physical something yet, it's a social something. So we have to ask ourselves, are we afraid of being ostracized? No, Corey, not me. So you're willing to stand up for all the teachings of the Bible regardless of what that does to your friend base, what that even does to your family base. Let's go back to Jesus. Jesus said that his teachings and his word will even divide brothers from sisters, kids from parents, Jesus says. Are we ready for that? Do we still believe that the word of God is the absolute truth? The absolute truth. That if this thing says it's wrong, it's wrong. If this book says that it's right, it's right. Do we still believe that? And here's the big question. 
If we aren't willing to lay down our social life right now, how in the heck will we be willing to lay down our physical life when the time comes? And this is where the church in the United States, man, the Bible talks about a great apostasy. Sometimes I wonder if that's not us. We are the last big Christian nation and we are absolutely imploding upon ourselves. And quite frankly, all of that is rooted in sin and the praise of sin and the glorification of sin, right? So a second time they summoned the man who had been blind and told him, give glory to God. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. Verse 25, he answered, whether or not he is a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I already told you, he said, and you didn't listen. Why do you wanna hear it again? You don't wanna become his disciples too, do you? Now listen, I don't know if he's being snarky, but if he is, kudos, right? That's, that's, that's pretty good. They ridiculed him, you're that man's disciple, but we're Moses' disciples. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's from. Look, 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 look what this blind man says. This is an amazing thing, the man told him. You don't know where he's from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. You were born entirely in sin, they replied. Are you trying to teach us? Then they threw him out. This blind man is, is quite fascinating. So they, they summon him back and they try to manipulate him into saying that Jesus is a fraud. Hey, give glory to God and just say that this man is a sinner. And his response is, is fantastic and has become quite famous. Whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know this part. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I can see. This is very important. This is very important because our testimonies are extremely important. Now look, it is one of our jobs as Christians, if you're a Christian here, is one of our jobs to go out and to tell other people about Jesus Christ. Now I'm gonna tell you what does not work. This is not going to work well for you. The traditional way that Christians think you're supposed to go out is you walk up with the Bible and you start telling people scripture. Hey, look, the Bible says this and this and this, and you're wrong about this, and look, look, this, 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 this. The problem with that method is, is they're not Christians. They don't think the Bible is their authority. They don't care, quite frankly. So, if we were to take a different approach, and we were to do something really audacious and build relationships with non-believers, if we were to build relationships with them, maybe get even really crazy, invite them over to our home, have dinner with them, spend time with them, go out to the movies with them, just be normal, civil people, we will start to trust each other and build a relationship with them, and then you can tell them what God has done for you personally. And then when they hear that, they'll go, okay, I trust you, I believe you, I don't think you lied to me, and that may lead them to the word of God. But if we just start running up to people who don't believe in God and we're like, look what the scripture says, only a fool wouldn't believe in God, great approach, right? Fantastic approach. 
Go up and call someone a fool and then tell them how much Jesus loves them, right? Fantastic approach. And that's why we're failing on an epic scale to reach the lost in the United States. Listen, we don't have to know everything about God. I hope we're learning more about God. But we do need to tell people how God has affected and changed our lives. And we build relationships with people. So this man was ridiculed. The man was ridiculed when he spoke boldly about what God had done in his life. But here's what's happening with the man. His spiritual eyes were starting to catch up with his physical eyes. And the healed man was bold about his faith. Look, this is very important. Without being arrogant and without being aggressive. We can be confident and bold in our faith without being jerks. We can be confident and bold in our faith without being arrogant or aggressive. Earlier on in the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John tells us that we need to be people who cultivate peace. Cultivate peace. Christians should be the ones who walk into a hostile situation and, and de-escalate it. We shouldn't be the ones feeding the hostility. That is not what we're supposed to do as Christians. We need to be evolving in our faith. Listen, to where we are mature enough in our faith to where we can have conversations with people who don't agree with us and we can keep a level head. We need to be evolving to that place. You know a scripture that changed my life? In the Gospel of Matthew, when, when the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council, was spitting on Jesus, punching Jesus, telling lies about Jesus, you know what it said he did? He kept his mouth shut because he was confident in who he was. He was confident in his mission, and quite frankly, he loved even those who spat on him, lied about him, and punched him in the face. So a great piece of theology, look at this. This blind man was illiterate, which doesn't take much to put two and two together. Hadn't seen ever before in his life, he couldn't read, he couldn't write, but he was actually a pretty brilliant man. The illiterate man speaks great theological truth <laughs> to the religious people. I love how he frames it too. He goes, hey, we all know, we all know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to them. This is a great piece of theology and one that we need to learn again um, in the Western world because we break it a lot. Now listen, this is not referring to repentance. God listens to people when they are, are sinners and they are asking him to forgive them of their sins. He listens to them. God does not listen, according to the Bible, in multiple places. It says the same thing in the, gospel, uh, in the book of James. God does not listen to people who know better but deliberately live in sin. Basically, what a lot of people are doing, and this happens in a lot in churches, again, hopefully not in this church, but it happens a lot in churches, is we keep asking God for things, praying for God to do things in our life, getting frustrated that he doesn't hear us and he's not responding, but that's because we have unaddressed sin in our lives. So here's the thing, does God love you? Yeah, he loves you. But before he gets to that job promotion, he wants to make sure he addresses that sin that could potentially separate you from him for eternity. And so listen, we keep praying for God to get us out of the web that we're in, and we need to be praying for God to kill the spider. Did you get that? God, help me with my sin. Help me with my shame. Help me with my guilt. Help me with these things. No, no, no. How about God alleviate me from a life of, of sin? And then those things will naturally take care of themselves. We need to be asking for God to deliver us from evil. I think someone said that in the New Testament. We call it the Lord's Prayer. 
Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Not just help me manage it. Not God just listen to me when I need something, even though I'm gonna live however I want. How can we live in rebellion to Jesus and expect him to listen to our requests? This is biblical. And a blind man who couldn't read or write knew it. And we should know it too. We should know it too. And I love what the religious people said. Maybe some of you are saying this right now. How dare you try to teach us? Are you trying to teach us? We are educated. We are religious. We wear the right clothes. We have the right pedigree. And I find it fascinating. This, this blind man, or formerly blind man, was a pretty learned guy. He knew his history. He knew his theology. He pointed at the Pharisees and he said, man, you guys keep trying to call Jesus a sinner, but you have a lot of sin that you haven't acknowledged. And so listen, you and I need to make sure that we never become Pharisees. And a couple of ways that we, we ensure that we do not become Pharisees is one is we have to remain teachable. Do you hear me? I don't care if you have three PhDs. I don't care if, if, if you've lived 80 years and you've read every book. We have to remain teachable. We must also not be so easily offended. Christians do not need to live in offense. We do not need to live in offense. We should know who we are in God and we should live in confidence regardless of what people say. It doesn't do us any good, right? You see someone posting something on Facebook you disagree with and you're going to be the one to fix it, right? You're offended and you're gonna fix them on your Facebook post and you're gonna fix everyone who reads it. Guys, there's much better things to do with your time. Much better things to do with your time. Let's get to this last part. You anti-Facebookers are like, that's right, Corey, you get him. <laughs> Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out, and when he found him, he asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him, he asked. Jesus answered, look how good this is, you have seen him, in fact, he is the one speaking with you. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, I came into the world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see and those who do see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked Jesus, we aren't blind too, are we? If you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sin, but now you say we see and your sin remains. Again, some huge theological stuff here. As the story concludes, it is virtually impossible not to realize that this formerly blind man became a follower of Jesus Christ. It is also very important that we don't miss the fact that Jesus hunted him down. Jesus pursued him. And what that reminds us is, you know whenever you hear Christians say, I found Jesus. Nope, he wasn't lost. <laughs> you were lost. <laughs> Jesus found us. He's not the one that strayed away. We are the ones that strayed away. Also notice this, because we get into these theological arguments that are also kind of dumb. Some people go, well, look, Jesus pursued him. He did. And when he found him, he said, do you know who the, believe? Do, 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 do you know who, who, who the Savior is, who the Messiah is? He gave him a choice to accept him back. So here's the thing. Everyone in this room who has been saved you are saved because God drew you and pursued you. You are also saved because you said yes, because you accepted that pursuit. 
So not only did the man verbally affirm his faith, who is he so I can worship him? He wanted to know who the Messiah was because he wanted to worship him. Not only that, once he knew who it was, he started, uh, he started worshiping Jesus. Now notice, they were not in church. Notice Kyle wasn't there tickling the ivories. None of that was there. And he started worshiping. What does that teach us? That teaches us that worship is not just something we do for 30 minutes on the weekend. It's not something we just do for two hours every six months at a big worship night event. Worship is something we do every single day. It is a lifestyle. It's, it's, it's us living a life of not only thanking God for what he has done, but listen, this is so important, praising God for just who he is. You ever done that? You ever just been praying to me like, God, you are the God that created the universe. You are the one that spoke the stars into existence. If you wanna nerd out today, go home and just YouTube. They have 4K images of the sun. And just look at a close-up, high definition. Don't do it outside. Do it on YouTube, or you'll be a blind person, right? But find some good 4K video of the sun. And look at that, and know that our sun is a small star. And just know that there are billions of those, and that God spoke those into existence. And I get to talk to him. Sometimes we should just say, God, thank you for being you and thank you for knowing who I am. That's amazing. So the Pharisees heard this, that Jesus said, for those of you who are blind, you will see. For those of you who see, you will become blind. And their response, their smug, arrogant response, well, we aren't blind too, are we? Hmm. Listen, it is admitting that we are lost and it is admitting that we need help that ushers in salvation. That's where salvation is birthed. It is when we throw our, heart, our arms up and say, I cannot do this without a savior. That is where salvation is birthed. But if we are too arrogant, man, I hope you guys are listening to me this morning. If we are too arrogant to acknowledge that we need help, we will always remain lost. That's straight from the mouth of Jesus himself. Now listen, this was a problem for the religious leaders here. I dare say it is the prevailing problem of our society today. The prevailing problem of our society today is we think we are fine just the way we are. Now listen, I hope you guys don't take this way out of context. There, there, there is a, a, a lie, a misconception that has been sold to you, sometimes even from people that we love and that, that quite honestly probably love us too. We have been sold a lie that we are perfect just the way we are, that we are good enough. And there's another lie that we've been, we've been sold that's, that's very dangerous, that we can be whatever we wanna be. That's just not true. So if, if, if someone looked at me, if you looked at me and said, Corey, how dare you? You can be, Corey, whatever you wanna be. Listen, I'm a five foot 10, 43-year-old guy. I would love to be on the starting lineup of the Chicago Bulls. Not gonna happen. I want it. I can even work for it. I got a basketball goal at my house. I could work for it. It's not gonna happen. They're not gonna draft me. So it would be very disappointing if I was told my entire life, right, as a five foot 10 guy, that, that, that I can be whatever I wanna be because if I wanna be that and I can't achieve it because it's unrealistic, I feel disappointed. Now listen, listen. We're gonna talk serious for a moment, real serious. I'm gonna be very careful because I don't wanna be offensive. I don't wanna hurt anyone. I don't, I don't, that's not what I wanna do. 
we live in a society right now, because right now you're like, Corey, where are you going with this? We live in a society that looks at our children and says, you can be whatever you wanna be. You're perfect just the way you are. And now we live in a society that says, well, if I'm a boy, I wanna be a girl and I can get pregnant. And then when we find out that people have dramatic surgeries to change things biological, the suicide rate is somewhere in the neighborhood of 50%. Because what happens is this, we look at them and say, you can be whatever you wanna be. And then they find out that that's not true. And what we thought was a silver bullet now becomes the greatest disappointment in my life. I am not hammering on transgender people. We can use this lie in all kinds of ways and it can hurt people and damage people because we have, we have phrased the wrong thing. You cannot be whatever you want to be, but listen to me, you can be whatever the Lord wants you to be. And, and so we need to be very, very cautious and listen, I'm not saying any of this. You can go out and judge and hate people and say bad things. That's not it at all. But we are even now getting to where we have opened up the floodgates of you can be whatever you wanna be and you're good enough to where now, I mean, if you wanna go watch something bizarre like the Met Gala stuff from last week where people are dressing up as animals and they only answer in cat, cat meows and dog barks. And there was 20 years ago, people are saying, we're, gonna, we're eventually gonna go to bestiality and everyone's like, you're nuts. Man, that crap's in the Bible for a reason, guys, because it has happened before. And we're starting to go this direction. And then on top of the, you can be whatever you wanna be, you're perfect just the way you are. And you know what that is? That is self-righteousness. That is us determining what is good and bad. And it's not just a lie, it's a dangerous lie that has eternal ramifications. If you were perfect just the way you are, if you were fine just the way you are, you wouldn't need a savior, but you do. Now listen, here's where I hope you don't take me out of context. You're imperfect, you're not enough in and of yourself, but that's what makes God so wonderful is he knows every imperfection about me and God could not love me any more than he does. We are invaluable to God even in our imperfection. And so we are imperfect, but we are loved, we are valued, but we still need saving. We need guidance. And that can only come from Christ. It can only come from Christ. But all of this begins when we are humble enough to say, I can't do this. I cannot do this alone. We only receive that guidance. We only receive that salvation when we are willing to, to throw up our hands in desperation and say, I, I need help. I need something greater than myself. I cannot fix myself. We as a society cannot fix ourselves. Now listen, the other side of that, that doesn't mean that we are not held responsible. We still have a responsibility. This is why Paul said we are to plant a one-time event we are to water, something you have to do all the time, right, daily, but it is God that makes things grow. That means that we are to go out and we are to work hard and we are to be efficient and we are to pray and we are to read the word of God and we are to love people. But the results of those things are not up to us. They're up to God. We are responsible, we cannot fix it, but we are to live by the principles and teachings of God. And if we plant and if we water, God will grow something. God will do something in our lives. God will do something in our families, our marriages, our schools, our workplaces. He will do that. 
In the middle of that planting and watering, though, listening, listen, we are, we are in an increasingly hostile society, specifically towards the teachings of Jesus Christ. Extremely hostile nowadays and aggressive. And in that aggression, one, we cannot return evil for evil. Do you hear me? We cannot act like people that don't know Jesus. If they spit in your face, we are not to spit back. I don't care. You know what that comes from? That comes from a place of pride that we want to strike back. And Jesus says we are not to return. The Bible says we are not to return evil for evil. We have to stand firm regardless of the physical cost, regardless of the social cost. We have to stand firm in our faith. We must also learn, listen, I'm gonna take it a little bit further. We also have to learn to love all people. That does not mean you agree with what all people do. Another lie in our society is, is that if you and I disagree, we must hate each other. That's not true. I can disagree with you and still love you. We can even adamantly disagree on big things and I can still love you. I'm called to love you. So we are to have deep love for all all people, all people. And we are to have empathy for people without compromising our biblical integrity. Listen, this is the tension that all of you should be living in all the time. Holding on to the truth of the word and loving people radically and ridiculously. These two things are we are supposed to be in that tension constantly. We cannot let go of either one of those things. Both of those things are how we are to be living. So the bottom line is this. Humility leads to salvation and an utter dependence on Jesus on a daily basis. Daily basis. It's not enough for you to come to this place once a week. Do you know the average American Christian comes to church once every five weeks? It's not enough. Listen, you would have to be blind as a bat spiritually to not understand and not see that evil is escalating at a ridiculous pace right now. Are you guys with me? Those of you who have children, you're very much with me. You see it. You have to send your children out in it all the time. The world has gone completely bizarre. It has gotten completely nuts. Not only sexually, but I mean, look at the violence that is happening nowadays. Look at the justification of violence. Look at the justification of sin. No longer is sin hiding in the shadows. Sin is out in the plain open day and we are applauding it. Look at that. It's fantastic. It is heroism in our day. And the more bizarre the sin, the more heroic we think it is. It's interesting that the Bible said there will come a time when what is right is considered wrong and what is wrong is considered right. That's where you are. That's where you are. Why am I saying all this? I'm saying all this to implore you and to encourage you that every single day when you wake up, you need to make sure you are utterly dependent. Let me take it even further. Desperate for God to be working in your life. It, not just in times of trouble, not just in times of confusion, but like sometimes, I don't know if anyone else is like this, you wake up and you're like, God, I need help. It's Tuesday again, right? <laughs> anyone else? I don't know what your day of the week is that sucks really bad. Mine's actually not Tuesday, it's Monday. Everyone thinks that we take Monday off. We don't, we're in here at 7.30 on Monday and I have meetings for five hours straight, Monday morning. 
And so on days of next class, I work a good 15-hour day, and sometimes you're like, ha Lord, you know, and you just, need to, you just need to be connected. Listen, if you're married, you need to be praying for your marriage daily. If you have kids, you need to be praying for them daily. When you go into work, when you drive on the interstate, when you connect with your family and your friends, utter dependence, utter dependence. This us, us acknowledging that apart from God, we are 100% blind. Do you know the Bible says in Psalms and it says it again in Romans, there is nothing good in me apart from God. Nothing. I'm good enough. No, you're not. My kids are perfect just the way they are. They're not. They may be perfect for you, but they are not perfect people. There's never been a perfect person except for one. And unless we utterly depend on him, we're gonna get confused, we're gonna get blown off track, we're not gonna be able to make it, okay? Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you are in this room and maybe you are not a believer or maybe you got questions or maybe you're a new believer and you got questions, up here on my right, your left, Pastor Jonathan is up here. He works with our discipleship process. If you would like to ask Jonathan anything, he'd be more than welcome to talk with you as long as you need. There are also men and women on both sides of the stage if you need prayer for anything. They'd love to pray for you for any need you may have. Then all the way around this room, wherever you see a lamp on a table and the majority of these posts in the middle, there is bread and wine, communion, that represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Everyone is welcome to take that uh, just kind of casually and you can go back to your seat and you can, you can pray and take the body and blood of Jesus Christ. The only restriction for that is, is one must ask Jesus to forgive them of their sin before they take communion, okay? But everyone who is a, a Christian who has repented of their sin, you are welcome to take communion. Let me pray for you. Father God, we love you. Father, we thank you so much, Lord. As we go back out into a hostile world, as we go back out to a confused world, God, quite frankly, a hedonistic world, a lost world. I pray, one, Father, that we can be the light, that we can love people, that we can be empathetic, that we can show grace and mercy. Lord, I also pray that we can hold on to our biblical principles. And Lord, if we're to do that, we have to be utterly dependent on you every day. God, make us desperate for you. Desperate for you, God. We love you, we thank you, we praise you. Keep your hand on everyone in this room until we meet again. We pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen, God bless you guys. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you so much.